Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, Ed McGrogan here with David Rosenberg and Pete Bodo. Um, talking after the weekend of tennis action over in San Diego and Washington, D.C., also an event in Denmark, a new event. Um, we'll get to all those. Um, we'll start with um, with San Diego and Svetlana Kuznetsova. She defeated Ag- Agnieszka Radwanska in the final. It was, um, it was a final that seemed to be uh, over over and out, kind of a usual affair. And then Svetlana, as sometimes she's wont to do, she served a match, served the match was broken, lost a four level lead in the tiebreaker, lost four championship points in that next in the same breaker, and then eventually won in three. Um, sort of impressive in its own right, just to hang on there. Um, what did you guys um, see out of that final that uh, caught your eye? I guess from either perspective. Well, I guess first of all, with Kuznetsova, um, just proves yet again that I mean, when when she's on, she's on. I mean, she's she's got the game. It's just it's just a matter of it's mental with her. But I mean, it's I don't I don't know why she goes in such long spells where she doesn't play that well. It just seems really really strange to me. That's Svetlana. Svetlana, this is how I roll Kuznetsova, basically, <laughs> I think is what you're talking about. I got a question for you. When was the last time these two women played, David? You probably know this, actually, being being so up on WTA event. Um, I Actually, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. Beijing last year, the final, and they contested that final. And that was the last final either of them had been in before this. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Kuznetsova, look... You know, she's won the U.S. Open in the past. I don't know, you know, I don't know how much that really means to her because she's kind of a free spirit and, and kind of takes things as they, as they come. But, uh, you know, this has got to set her up pretty well, uh, boost her confidence going into the meat of the hardcourt season in the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, I guess from uh, looking at the, the winners this week, especially Nell Banning, who we'll get to in a minute, but her and Kuznetsu, they kind of are players who just kind of pop in every so often and kind of remind you that they're there. They're certainly sort of erratic erratic personalities of games that can really either dominate or kind of just fizzle right away do you i mean do you think p this is a like actually a foretelling sort of result or is it kind of like a one-off thing for her what would you say about well there are a lot of players like kuznetsova i think and men and women who basically will go on a little bit of a roll uh you know they live in the top 10 they make a lot of money they have a good life uh you know i don't wish to denigrate them particularly but the fact of the matter is you know it's a little like why should they go through all the stress and strain of say wanting to be a, a rafael nadal or a even uh, Serena Williams, well, I guess she's not a great example because she takes plenty of time off. But, I mean, some, some of the players have really dedicated themselves and they really want to be number one. They burn for that top ranking or to win majors, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, I think they're quite – and I think because that's a very good representative of this type of player who is, is really talented – can you know can can sort of win matches and keep herself you know up in her and mix in a top ten practically with her eyes closed and then every once in a while they go on a little bit of an extra surge and a run and they you know and, and it kind of boosts their their name value again and and, and make they make some more money and stuff and so you know life is good for these players at that level but it's I think it's it's strange to me how how the extremes I mean she hasn't she's just completely disappeared Kuznetsova until she won this tournament and. Now, you know, now look what happens. This week they're playing in uh, Cincinnati and she, she gets Sharapova in the first round. You know, so, I mean, then what happens? You know, where's the momentum? I mean, it's very odd to me. It's like, how, how can this be a first-round match? You know, then you have Yankovic as the top seed and, 
She's yeah. in like a nobody qualifier. There's like 20 qualifiers in her quarter. I mean, yeah, a lot of right. a lot of those rankings kind of threw the draws really out of whack for sure. Yeah. Well, you make you know you make the bed you lie in basically. You know it's uh you know the you know a lot of the women are not playing consistent tennis and they're not playing a, a ton of matches. A great example was. Um, uh, Victoria Azarenka, who who wins San Diego and promptly, pull, I mean, I'm sorry, she won um, the week before in prom- Stanford, Stanford, yeah. and promptly, yeah. promptly pulls out of San Diego. Now, you know, she had, she had soldier, shoulder problems, and you know, fine, you know, it's hard to second guess players when they side injury. But on the other hand, it's not beyond these women to say, hey, I just won this event, life is good. I'm going to take next week off instead of working next week. And so what happens is, then if she comes back now, and then let's say she loses early in Cincinnati, she's sort of back to square one, hasn't done a whole lot for her ranking, and and then you. Know, now again, you're looking at playing someone like that who clearly is a dangerous player, could be a top player, could be seated real high. But now you're looking at someone like Kuznetsova coming up against her in the second or third round, and and that's kind of how you know the fire kind of feeds itself. I think. Yeah, the tour is kind of passed the players by. There's just so much change, I guess, week after week, and that's what happens when there's a tournament week after week too. It's just relentless. Someone is going to get on a roll. Someone is kind of left in the dust, whatever. Well, you know, I mean, Azarenka, Azarenka is playing Ivanovich in the first round. Well, there you go. Cincinnati. So, I mean, it's like, yeah. it's incredible. Well, that's become almost a gimme, unfortunately. But I'm curious about this. David had said, told us offline here that he was, he wanted to watch, he, he watched that because that's of a match because he really was curious about Radwanska. What did you see? What do you think? Well, Radwanska, I mean, she, she looked great, but she always looks great. I mean, she gets compared to Hingis a lot. And when she plays a player who lets her do whatever she wants to do, like I watched her play Hentukova, who didn't really do too much to her. And she's fun to watch. I mean, she's got a very crafty game. But then when she goes up against someone like Kuznetsova, who can just blow her off the court, which was the same thing with Hingis, it's not so much fun. You know, you're just kind of just hoping that she can make something out of it, but it doesn't really work as well. She'd been around the top ten for a little bit. I think she might be just outside or on the fringe, basically, is... um. Is she someone who I think who who could eventually is she a, like a slam contender down the road maybe or is her game kind of at a ceiling? Really, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the top ten. What does it what does it really mean anymore? You look at those players in the top ten. I don't even know who's who's a contender. I mean, after Serena, <laughs> yeah. Well, I it's mean, kinda, it's hard to say on the women's tour. I mean, I don't. I guess she could be. I mean, she beat Sharapova a few years ago at the Open. Rodwanska did, but Sharapova, I think at that time maybe wasn't at her best. Yeah. She was injured, perhaps. Well, it's but. just like looking at this week in Cincinnati. There's not really a clear favorite, I think, by any, with especially with Serena Al. But you no, know, it all revives a whole parody argument. You know, do do you really? What do you want out of the women's store? Do you want two or three players who dominate? You know, or even one player who dominates, and then the whole story becomes about them all the time and whether they can do anything. At the best of those times, a player like a Navratilova or a Graf, what they do is they make the other girls lift their games. These other girls suddenly realize, you know what? You know, I can't. I'm, I'm going to look stupid going out there losing love and one to this woman, especially if I play her a couple of weeks in a row. And then everybody starts to work hard and do it. Now, there's no figure like that to inspire the, the women these days. I think that's a real problem. So you've got this classic case of parody. You know, do you really want a dominant champion and who's going to beat the champion, if anybody? Or do you want to have a bunch of people taking turns winning titles? I mean, I, my feeling, my, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but my gut feeling is that uh, it's always better to have a dominant champion. The best thing of all is to have a rivalry. It's. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it kind of reflects itself. Even in all the sports I watch, like team sports, it's the same thing. It's. It's good when you have those so-called dynasty. It just. It just makes it. Also, just makes it. I think that besides the competitive nature, it just makes it more interesting to begin with. You got people trying to get up the ladder there. I think that's what you've been seeing lately on the ATP. I mean, even though Federer and Nadal still have you know an amazing amount of the last few titles, you're seeing surges by a lot of different players, and you know. 
Burdich is just the latest example, but Del Potro last year, lots of players like that where you, uh, you know, you just get a more competitive brand of tennis all around. So um, that's the men's part. We'll talk about that too right now with... Um, yeah, she wasn't the only, let's face it, because Netsuvo wasn't the only uh, head case who actually won a tournament this yeah, week. no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of similarities between these between Nelbane and her. They both have fantastic backhands. I mean, they're just kind of out of nowhere. And Nelbane was even more of a stretch. He didn't play an event. He played Davis Cup recently, but he hadn't played a tournament since Miami, I believe. He was a wild card entry into into Washington and uh, went through a tournament that's, you know, a a fairly, even though it's not a Masters event, it's a big draw. There was a lot of a lot of good players in it, and ended up beating Baghdadis in the final. Um, I guess the same sort of holds here. I, I guess I question if it's any sort of a foretelling thing, because I remember that Nelbane has had his moments many times in the past. He wins a Masters Cup. He doesn't really build off it. He wins a few Masters events in Paris and Madrid, I believe, and. It just kind of stops there, and when it comes to mm-hmm. the majors of late, he just hasn't been able to put it through. Well, it's funny to see on the men's tour a man coming back after a, le- a long break and doing well. You know, we're used to seeing that on a women's tour, so that that that's interesting. But, I mean, yeah, what you were saying before, even beginning of the year, everyone thought maybe Davidenko was going to break through, and he sort of faltered and, you know, got injured. And I don't know, Nelbandian, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't – I mean – I'm not, you know, he's another one. It's hard to say with him. Yeah. This guy, though, he may be having like a, you know, one of those, one of those, uh, you know, uh, career moments when he's thinking, you know what, I'm 28 years old. It's time for me to really get moving here. He's, you know, you look at his record. It's amazing. This guy won a major in only his fourth Grand Slam of his career at age 20. Fourth time he played. I'm, I'm sorry, he no, didn't not win a major. major. He got yeah. to the Wimbledon final. Yeah. Fourth Grand Slam he played in his career at the age of 20. The fact that he has not been in a final since then, but he's been a top 10 and sometimes top 5 player really tells you something. You know, the guy, and then you look at his record and he had so many, so many sort of close calls. You know, he had, he won five sets with Baghdadis in Australia to get to the final. A match in which subsequently Baghdadis had Federer a little bit on the ropes and their French Open with Federer semifinals. He's got Federer by a set and he's ahead in the second set and he tears his stomach muscle. So, you know, now Bandian's been both a head case and he's also been snake bit. You know, it's funny you mentioned that about Kuznetsova being similar. And I was just writing, I'm, I'm writing something like that right now. Is A, could, she could be mistaken for a sister just physically because both of them are sort of, you know, sort of built fairly squat, pretty, you know, pretty short, powerful legs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> she's got the great backhand, you know, two-handed backhand. And she's also, you know, they've both been, you know, pretty unreliable. This is, this is bad news, though, I think, for some of these guys because, you know, just what, what he did in, in, in Washington, he got, he got in one week – a good load of match experience. So now he's going to the two big masters. This is a guy who won Madrid and Paris back-to-back, beating Federer and Nadal in those events. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, that was one of the great runs. You know, during the, during the Federer and Nadal era, that was probably the best run any player ever made. Uh, the inroads, <laughs> you know, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think the guy could really be dangerous, and he's been, he's done well at the U.S. Open in the past. He lost that close one, I think, to... Uh, to Rodder. To, no, to Ferrero, no. I think, and then yeah. Ferrero lost to Roddick in the final when Andy won, won the major there. So, you know, I, I think the guy, you know, and he's he's well rested. He's he looks looks pretty fit, and that's always an issue with him. He doesn't take the best care of himself, apparently. So, you know, this you know this he could be spell trouble. I mean, would you want to be Andy Murray facing like a hot David now band? Yeah, I mean, someone is going to get him right off the bat, and he and like you like you said, kind of going down all those results. He's an all court player, and then Wimbledon finals, French semis. He's been to hard court, you know, down the line. And you're right about that. It's a, it just is someone. It, on the women's tour, you see a lot of sort of strange first-round matches, like you're saying. There's going to be an oddity when, uh, you know, 
someone ends it could be anybody it could be like Nadal even in the first round, but that's you know that's down the line. But um, in in that event actually, DC, I'm looking looking back at the draw. That was an event where a lot of all the American big names uh, were in there, and they all kind of actually went away, I believe, by the fourth round. I think Fish and um, Quarian is there all went down the same day. Erotic earlier. Um, maybe have a, one out of order there, but they, it, so they'll have, I guess, these next coming events to keep, uh, show their keep here, but it was, uh, wasn't a, as good an event as I, as many American fans would have hoped, especially the fans over in DC there. Well, it felt like a little bit of a minor league event. I mean, when you compare the, what's coming up this week, you know, and I do feel sorry for these guys. I mean, I feel like Nobandian could do some damage this week, but I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I, I mean, he and Melise and Baghdadis are all going to have to go there. Toronto and try to do well I mean it just seems like all these other big boys are rested up and ready to go and I, I just it feels like that's just I, I can't see any of them doing too much damage you gotta watch Melise too I was actually talking to his to his trainer this morning Alistair McCaw you know a South African uh, native who uh, has been working with Melise he's worked with Michaela Krychek who's really struggled you know and who's who's a talented women's player but she's really struggled she's just on a cusp she keeps losing close matches and qualifiers, you know, sort of last rounds of qualifiers and stuff. And uh, and uh, he told me that um, Xavier's been working with him now since Miami, and uh, he's really pretty dedicated and he's working pretty hard. So he could, he, and he, you know, he's one of the great unrealized talents. I guess this podcast is the unrealized talent <laughs> podcast, right? Because we're talking about people who everyone had great expectations for, but but really didn't come through or completely come through. Kuznetsov, of course, has two Grand Slams to her name. Dal Bandy's been a great top 10 player for a long time so you know uh you know i i think i think the big guys could be in trouble david i know i know what you mean i mean i think that those guys are laying in there in weight but these guys are coming in look they're hungry they they they, they need these wins i mean you know they're they, they've got to keep earning the money basically and so I, I i'm looking at some of these guys like i mean, i wouldn't want to be a murray playing an albandy and maybe even a melise you know this this next week or two as he's trying to get him get himself into confident form for the u.s open so where does uh Karen Wozniacki fit into the unrealized talent portion of this podcast. She's actually probably more realized yep. than anyone. I mean, she's probably done better than anyone would have thought at this point. Give I mean, her time. She's young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, you know, whatever she goes and she wins that tournament in Copenhagen. It was like, I don't, I don't really consider that a big, a big marker for anything. I mean, it was her hometown, yeah, so maybe there's pressure. Maybe there's pressure in her hometown. I think there was actually quite a bit of pressure to win that. Actually, there was an yeah. inaugural event, right? That's. I think that was the first year. First time, first yeah. year they had, and that was a carrot. Look, let's face it, that was not the E box Sony Ericsson Open. <laughs> probably the most unfortunate name I've ever heard for a tennis tournament. That what that really was was the Caroline Wozniacki Open, just like the Serbian Open. I was just going to say anybody, any. Yes. I guess any country that gets a big player can get their own tournament now. I suppose because. Who, who are the other Danish players? I'm sure you know. Sam. Well, the tours need it now, though. You know, the tours need that a little bit. You know, the some of their traditional, you know, uh, audiences are drying up a little bit. You know, U.S. You know, of course, you know we have trouble fielding. You know, really top contenders for some of these tournaments, and not a lot of people clamoring for tournaments. And let's face it, you know, you can you can come up with a, a 250 or 500 tournament even on the. You know, if you've got the week available, that's a critical thing because you really what you're buying is the week when you're a tournament director. And you know, I, th- I think I think it's not a bad idea to, to try to capitalize on on regional, when you, when you got a young interest. star. You know, capitalize on a regional local interest. And you know, Wozniacki came through. I actually give her a lot of credit for coming through, and I think that match is going to help her going forward because I think. You know, a lot. She she was expected to carry that tournament, and she did. Basically, she had she had tough matches. You know, she went three sets with with everybody until the final. Times, yeah. I think so. And and these were not. You know, there was a lot of fat in his drawing, and you know that didn't prevent her from 
from having a lot of stutter steps there, but she got through, and that's important. I think she's going to feel really good about the job she did in that tournament for her people, you know, and I think she's going to be a little bit more relaxed in these upcoming events. One of those, uh, like, Fed Cup, Davis Cup sort of wins, I guess, if you will, with the, the home country. Exactly. Um, we're going to uh, stop there, and uh, we'll catch up later in the week, discuss Toronto and Cincinnati. Um, us three will be back again, I'm sure, uh, a little later in the week. If you have any questions in the meantime, send them to podcast at tennis.com, and we'll get to those in a little in a later show. Uh, talk to you then. Thanks. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.